0: Hello, guys? listeners. This is your host, Jesse Wyland, we have another great episode for you. Uh, this show follows a different format. This was a live podcast recording that we did for Theology on Tap in Madison, Wisconsin. So shout out to the young adults of Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you for having us come out there. We had so much fun and you were so hospitable and I got to drink beer while doing the podcast. So that was also amazing. Uh, But our topic for the, the podcast was Drunken speech tapping into the spirit of the mass And this largely comes from a quote that we found from Romano Guardini Where he says, let us joyfully taste the sober drunkenness of the spirit That is an amazing sentence That is a sentence I will always remember Because it's so fascinating So we'll unpack that and what that means in this episode And as a side note, we had a lot of fun doing this live podcast So if you want to bring the liturgy guys out to your conference or parish or event let us know. Send us a message on Twitter, at Guys or email us at questions at LiturgyGuys.com. We'd be happy to discuss uh, upcoming opportunities and possibilities. This, this was a lot of fun for us. This is the first time we ever done a live podcast. So we were a little nervous at first, but I think it, it went well. So uh, let us know if you want to bring us out for your conference or event. And without further ado, episode 35 of season two of
1: The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
0: All right, we're talking about drunken speech today.
1: Yes. But we're not speaking drunkenly.
2: Well, well at least I'm is. not. Yeah, well, the well the here we are. let <laughs> Clink your glass there, Chris. Oh, glass. that glass doesn't clink, Jesse. It's vodka, and it's plastic. Go. Okay. Good. Well, it's kind of a prov- provocative name, don't you think? Drunken speech. I mean, it's perfect for theology on tap, but... If you told your average parishioner, we're going to have some drunken mass today, and you're, hopefully you'll speak with a drunken speech to God, they'd probably be a little scandalized.
1: Don't your you think? mother church speaks uh, uh, drunkenly. Would that be bad? Scandalous?
2: Well, I think it would. In fact, I just read this thing from St. Cyprian today that he said it was a sober inebriation. So how can we have drunken speech and sober inebriation in the literature? Sounds like, a, like an oxymoron. It does, in fact.
1: All right, the term uh, drunken speech, this, uh, we, we took this title from uh, this fellow Romano Gardini earlier who, who has this line, let us joyfully taste the sober drunkenness, the sober drunkenness of the spirit. And so he's uh, one of many who, who invokes this. And I, it's, it's uh, we can kind of get to the bottom of this. When the, another uh, formulation of this is uh, besides sober drunkenness is uh, drunken speech or, what is the other one? sober inebriation, uh, and what they're trying to express by this is uh, when the church uh, worships, Dennis mentioned this one community of the church, and one of the persons of the Trinity is the Logos. That would be the sun, the word. That yes. would be the sun, and so Logos means, uh, it's the root of our word logic or sobriety, or <laughs> speech. Wait, it's the root of sobriety? <laughs> it means sort of the same <laughs> oh, thing. Sure, we'll yeah. go with sort of. Yeah. It yeah. means so like, sort like, of. A,
2: like ordered, right? An ordering yeah, principle order. Right.
1: Got it. And uh, so what's the other part then?
2: The disordered, drunken the part. The spiritness. Oh, yeah. The yeah, the, the loving. They, that's the same thing. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Well, so the you know if you want to uh, on the way home from work or something like this you stop at the spirits Store and you that's where you get your alcohol. So the, the spirit the holy trip mm-hmm. the uh, the Holy Spirit part of the Trinity denotes this uh, Drunkenness this uh, inebriation part not that the Holy Spirit wants us to be drunk, but it's more of a spirited uh, uh, part so you put the Sun and the Spirit together and the way that the church prays then at the liturgy is characterized as sober inebriation.
2: Right. So full of joyful enthusiasm and energy and a little bit loose and a little bit happy to be where you are, but sober That's enough that you're not losing your sense of rationality and your ability to do what you're supposed to do. So in just moment. being
0: like right on the cusp
1: there, making sure that you have
2: yeah, kind it's of a kind little, of uh, buzzed, you know, <laughs> <laughs> buzzed, <laughs> spiritually liturgy. buzzed. Right.
1: All right. So we thought like that was, that was the, an excellent title for Theology on Tap Sober Inebriation. And I imagine speech.
2: in Romano Gordini's day, people are worried about their duty to God, their duty to religion. There's this kind of notion, I must go to worship God or else I'll be fried or sent to hell for whatever. I, I like this way way better. Yeah, I don't know that it's really considered a joyful, it might have been considered a joyful thing to do. Like this delightful opportunity to praise God, to share in the life of the, of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit probably wasn't the model that they were working with. So to call it a sober inebriation really gives new meaning to the, to celebrate the liturgy, I think, instead of just to perform the duty of the ritual.
1: He talks about that in one of his letters, that the, as long as the has just seen something that you need to get through, you need to get through the ceremony, all right, then, you know, that's all it is. But you're right, it's supposed to be something that that animates your entire existence and uh, kind of with, with the spirit of, you know, pushes you out the door into the world to to sanctify and divinize all of your life. Right, if
2: you've ever been to a party of someone you don't like very much, you know, it's like, oh, I've gotta go Never. to their anniversary or the boss is having a whatever. And Jesse's birthday. Yeah, the, the Christmas party <laughs> that you hate going to or your school reunion. It, it's, you it's, told me you were busy
0: that weekend. Yeah,
2: I did. It's drudgery. It's not actually lively. It's not a happy, uh, delightful thing to do. But, you know, celebrating the liturgies, that's the word that priests use every time they start Mass, is we celebrate these mysteries. I don't know that we think of mass as celebration, but what we're actually doing is rejoicing in the fact that heaven and earth, that were united, uh, you know, that were disunited in some degree after the fall, are now back together. It's this wedding feast of the Lamb, and so you want to have a slightly drunken speech, right? It, yeah. Not an embarrassingly drunken speech. you're at a wedding, at a wedding <laughs> yeah, you want to be inebriated. Exactly, but soberly, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> right so You'll never do, get out on the dance floor otherwise. Right? That's right. true.
1: The wedding feast of the Lamb, right? Exactly. Okay, so if this is what uh, the Mass and the liturgy is, it's characterized mm-hmm. by this uh, drunken speech or sober inebriation. What we wanted to uh, suggest is, well, how is it that when you go to Mass, you can tap into that uh, tap, if you want to put it that's that like way. it's like theology on tap. Mm-hmm. on tap. That's right. How can you drink deeply from these uh, wellsprings of drunken speech and sober inebriation when you go to the Mass, so that you can be filled with the same sort of logos and the same sort of spirit that can transform you as we go out. So we wanted to suggest then that during this podcast three different ways uh, that uh, the Mass offers us to tap into this stream of grace which comes uh, from the side of Christ made accessible to us in the liturgy so it can transform us. And then we want to offer some real practical things to do that you can do next, this next Sunday when you go to Mass to see if they don't actually help your liturgical experience. That sound all right? Yeah. I, I mean, you guys prepared this, so yeah.
0: I'll just sit along. Give it a ride. go, Chris.
2: All right. You're starting with the Word.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the, the first, and there's many ways, but the first one that we want to uh, suggest is how to listen to the readings, how to participate in the liturgy of the Word. Dennis, what is the Liturgy of the Word? Why don't we start with that?
2: Well, it's the proclamation of the mission of salvation. And, you know, the uh, the Church's books have introductions into them, often called prenotanda, or the notes in the front. And they they'll tell you what is what is it about. And uh, the introduction to the lectionary is actually surprisingly interesting. And it says, <laughs> you know, the, the, the ambo goes here, and the lecture does this and that. But then it says that the the reading of scripture is not just this little Bible class that you do until you wait around for the Eucharist, which is kind of the real thing. It's actually imitating the process of salvation. So God speaks through creation, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and it's all a preparation to receive Christ to know Christ is coming and to receive Him in the Eucharist. So it's actually of a two-step process how do you know what the eucharist is well because god taught the world how to look for it how do you know what the eucharist is because christ said this is my body and then the road to Maeus is one of the stories they mention in particular that they hear the story again of what christ is about and what he means and then they recognize him in the breaking of the bread So attentive listening to scripture isn't so much just getting your Bible study in as much as it is saying, I understand now the whole mission of salvation that God has prepared and when I receive communion, I'm gonna know that that is kind of the apex of that process. So being attentive to the story of Melchizedek or the ark or the flood or creation or recreation is actually very relevant to receiving the Eucharist in 30 minutes later.
0: What do I do when like my daughter Agnes is running around trying to play with the other kids? I, do I just miss out on that?
2: It, pretty much, yeah. Right. I think God understands that having kids in mass <laughs> means you're going to be checked out a little, every so often.
1: <laughs> what it reminds me of when you're talking about uh, the nourishment in that introduction to the uh, lectionary, which, of course, is not dry and boring and uninteresting. I can't nope. believe he would even suggest that. Uh, But it talks about uh, this nourishment from the table of the Word. And this uh, always brings to my mind, I think this is in the, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, and again in the book of Revelation, where there's this image of the angel taking the scroll, and he rolls up the scroll and he gives it, for example, to St. John. And do you remember what he does with it? He eats it. He actually it's eats sweet it. sweet in it up his mouth. And he starts to, he starts to eat it. Yeah. And so um, this image comes to mind when I hear the church speak about the nourishment that's available to us from the uh, That's pretty weird, though. Yeah, just kind of weird. in a literal way. Yeah. What if yeah, you did that way. in
0: church? You just went up to the, the Jesse. To...
1: I do that, but in a sacramental <laughs> way. In a sacramental All right, way. Sure. See, this is the principle: is to find. Am a I look what, at you what? in church, and then you're just going to start <laughs> chewing on imaginary food there. Now, my like a uh, jelly uh, is my almost two-year-old, and right. they do actually chew on the uh, miscellettes and oh, make yeah. them all dog. Yeah. That's kind of disgusting. But you know, I remember so,
2: once years ago, and the homily is part of the Liturgy of the Word, and I remember years ago I was really upset about something, I forget what it was exactly, but it was in a bad way, and the, the priest who preached the homily, it was like that homily was written for me. Every word that he said answered all my concerns in all of those moments, and I remember, I don't remember a word that he said, actually, but I remember it was the sweetest thing to hear. Everything was like, oh yeah, that's the answer God is giving me right now through this man and I really felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me in that moment which is pretty rare and I went up and thanked him and he was really pleased to hear that yeah. that humbly worked on A, nice a, humbly, a somebody listened Father. to it, and B, <laughs> was actually not just rolling off my ears, but was actually effective and changed me in that moment.
1: We'll see, there's, and we'll get to this in a couple minutes. There's a, there's things that we can do on the front end of, of going to mass and hearing the liturgy of the word that you can end up having that same sort of uh, effective and affective at the same time experience when, when you hear the word. Um, but uh, yeah, back, but let's, let's just stay with this, uh, what's the theology of the liturgy of the word, is uh, when you describe the, the, the conversation throughout salvation history, um, one of the ways that the, the lectionary presents what happens at the mass is it's kind of a microcosm of the larger dialogue that's taking place or has taken place throughout salvation history. So God speaking to his people through the prophets and then the prophets speaking back to God on behalf of people, this is a dialogos, that's going back and there's that word logos, right? So it gives us a, a peek at what's the real meat of the liturgy of the word. It's not just texts and scribbles on the page. It's, it's the actual logos that, that's the, the content. But think of the dynamics of what happens at during the liturgy of the word at a Sunday mass. You know, God is speaking to us through the old covenant, yet it's a little bit unclear and shadowy. And then in the Psalm, we turn around and we speak back to God yet not in our own words, it's in the words of the psalm. And then God turns around and he speaks back to us through the, uh, through the epistle and the gospel and the homily. And then we stand and we turn around and we speak to, back to God when we say, credo, I believe in God, and then we offer our petitions. So even the, the dynamic of what's happening in the liturgy of the word is this back and forth conversation, uh, the content of which is actually the logos.
2: So, when they, they say agree? the words of the liturgy are from God, to God, and about God. Right.
1: And they are, see, this, this is what's so uh, uh, beautiful about what God has done. You know, imagine when, when two people are having a conversation. Or three. Or when two people are having, <laughs> people are having a conversation. So, imagine that Jesse here uh, is God, and I'm the Word, oh. and Dennis is man. Now, just think of the dynamics here of what happens in salvation. God speaks. And Jesus happens to be God. He speaks a word. Jesus is actually the word. Man hears it. Jesus is fully man. And then he reciprocates it on behalf of man, which he is, the word, which he is and God which he is. Yeah, but that's like the game telephone and we all know that we no, never get that. To... No, God can't play telephone. Oh, okay. God can't play telephone because he gets the conversation right all the time because he's the speaker, he's the receiver, and he's even the word that goes between them. So this is a real, again, meaty and substantial type of conversation uh, especially for ears who know how to hear the liturgy right. of the word.
2: I remember Cardinal Ratzinger saying that Christianity is unique in one way in that God does the work for us. So Christ is the one who offers the true sacrifice at the right hand of God. We don't have to worry about doing it wrong. We don't have to worry that we're going to bring a you know a basket full of gourds and the God is like, I don't like gourds, and you know fries you <laughs> and sends you off on your way, and then nobody wants to go approach the God anymore. We have the perfect high priest at the right hand of God, it's Christ, that he's offering the sacrifice for us. He's given us the words to say, he's given us himself, and all we have to do is give him back and say yes. And so Christianity is, it, is sort of a sure thing, so to speak, as long as you give your heart in your mind and your will and your consent uh, to it. And so the word is given and all we have to do is give it back.
1: And when we give it back, here's a couple more thoughts before we get to some real practical ways to, to have this experience when you go to Mass. Is uh, um, uh, Pope Benedict cites up uh, St. Gregory the Great in one of his writings and he says uh, the divine word grows together with the one who reads them. Or we could say at Mass the one who hears them. The divine word grows together with the one who hears them. And Pope Benedict will put this in his own way in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy. He'll, he'll use this word called logicized or logified. When you hear and become nourished by the logos, what happens to you? It mixes with you and it logifies you. It makes you into a word. This is how transformative uh, hearing the liturgy of the word can be. Well, All right. Can you talk
0: just briefly, because? Um, there's a difference between uh, hearing the the word of the lord and and reading the word of the lord and in especially in the gospel, we talk about it being the spoken when when in the land it's uh, verbum domini as opposed to scriptum so we're not just here's the written this is not the book here but it's it's actually focused on the fact that you're hearing the word not just
1: that you know we're reading along here in the missalette. can you talk a little bit about that i can talk a little bit about that but not too much but you're right it's it's the you know the word is living and active uh and so it's it's meant to be proclaimed It, it it lives on lips and it lives in ears and in hearts and so i mean sometimes you'll see the minister say the word of the lord or something like that. well it, it's not that <laughs> it's not that it's it's the word that now you guys are uh, going to be like hyper
2: conscious right and we're like oh that, they and, said that wasn't right and if you remember what the old the previous translation said they used to say it used to say this is the word of the lord and people would say thanks be to god now we just say the word of the lord to make people know that it's not the book that's the word of the lord although it contains it but that the word of the lord is jesus christ who's Knowledge of himself and reality of himself was just sent out in the air to, to be absorbed through, to us through our ears.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's a takeaway point from this little theology of the liturgy of the word is that the word isn't scribbles on the page, the word is the second person of the Trinity. And until our ears can kind of recognize that, then it's this kind of Charlie Brown's teacher, you know. Wah, 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 I don't know if they've ever seen Charlie Brown, Chris.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It was a show, that,
1: anyway. All right, it was a show. that's your it was a show from it a long a, time ago. It was a show. They did things. All right, so Dennis, uh, let's offer some suggestions about how can we hear and participate in the liturgy of the word. How do you do it? Well, one is
2: actually pay attention. You know, which is surprisingly hard sometimes. I, you know, especially we have mass in the morning in the Liturgical Institute. In I'm sorry. The, what did you just say? I said we have mass in the morning no. in the Liturgical <laughs> Institute. Said, pay attention. Oh, and, yeah, right. uh, By the time it's over, I'm like, oh, gosh, what was just read there? It it takes some intentionality. And actually, if you read it ahead of time the night before, which I know is easy to say and hard to do, that actually helps a bit. But I have a friend who's a scripture professor, and he introduced me to some some fundamental biblical typologies that you see in scripture all the time. What's a
1: typology?
2: It's kind of a prefiguring, or it's an idea that is later fulfilled, usually by Christ, uh, somewhere along the line. It's a pattern of things that show up in different places. So Moses is the typological precursor of the lawgiver, and then Christ comes as the the new law. You have Melchizedek as a priest, and then Christ comes as the, the new priest or the notion of presence. You know, the Temple of Solomon uh, in Jerusalem was a temple to God's name. So there was no statue of God inside the Holy of Holies. And the notion when God anything brought into God's presence was made holy, and so the Jews are very interested in that. You know, to carry the tabernacle around through the desert and the pillar of fire. Whenever God is present, then He transforms them and glorifies them, and anything brought into that presence is transformed and glorified. So presence, we think of the real presence now, or going into the presence of the Blessed Sacrament for adoration. It's it's being in this kind of warmth of God's reality that is transformative, just by being there and having that uh, intention. But there's some other things, like I'll ask you guys, like water. What, how, what is water in Scripture? Good or bad? Well, Both. I'm, Well, it was bad for Pharaoh, that's for sure. Well, sure. <laughs> but it was good for the Israelites, yeah, right? Because the water got out of their way, right? Whenever. Right. So whenever one, we got one in one. Right. So, what happens to the world in Noah's flood? Right. It's bad news. Except that uh, later on, it becomes this way to get baptized. It becomes, it's
0: cleansing, it's nourishing.
2: Right, and it turns the desert into a garden. So in the Old Testament, especially in uh, some of the readings you hear in um, Advent, they're waiting for the time when the desert, which is what Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they wind up in the desert of the world and they have to sweat by their brow to earn their food. If they were living in a tropical paradise with a lot of water, then that would be just easy and delightful uh, way to, to live. So desert is a, sim- a sign of the world without grace. The garden is the sign of the world with grace. The Holy Spirit's called the river of the water of life. He turns our desert hearts into these flowery uh, gardens of his presence. So uh, water, whenever you hear about water in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have to think, okay, what is the larger uh, story there? How about 10 and 2?
1: Well, hang on. Let, oh, let, go let, back let, to water? Wait, Yeah, so back wait, to water.
2: Well, I have,
0: that's all typology. Is that what you're saying? So when you, when you hear something, especially in Scripture, and then that's kind of uh, lets you know something else is coming up,
2: Right, so you hear, for instance, Jesus crosses the Jordan River. Okay, so what? There's a river in the way and he needs to get to the other side. The what, what should you hear from that?
0: Well, the Israelites mm-hmm. had to cross the river, right?
2: Right, the, the water, the chaos of the waters were in the way of them reaching the promised land. Mm-hmm. So they have to get to the other side. And so when Christ goes from earth to the promised land, in a sense, he's going from earth to heaven, bringing humanity with him to paradise and to the love of the Father. Yeah, that's exactly what I
1: was going to say. I know it was. (laughs) One of of the uh, LI faculty, uh, David Fagerberg, said this about the typology of water. He says, all of the the waters of the old covenant, all of these types of waters from the Red Sea to the flood, from the water in the rock and the water in uh, the Jordan River, they all run downhill until they pool up in the baptismal font. And that's where we go through when we're baptized. And so I think that's a good example, too of um, if you want to understand something about the readings today, it, uh, it it helps to to understand where it is that they've come from.
2: Right. Or Christ walks on water, right? He calms the storm and he walks on water. Okay, so he's a miracle worker. He's you know fun at parties, right? What does it really mean in the larger question? that he can walk on water he can control it he can control a storm right which is water that's dangerous and he can walk on chaos water is associated with chaos in a storm and so that means he's the one who the waters are frozen at his touch that's one of the 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 names of god in the old testament uh that he sits on his throne and the waters around him are frozen at his touch You remember anything else about frozen water i know we've talked about this before
0: oh man Uh, uh, okay does this have to do with the bridge that the water is Kind of, yeah. To?
2: In the book of Revelation, the throne of God is said to be surrounded by a sea of crystal. Mm-hmm. And when you read the book of Revelation, you wonder, you know, what was St. John smoking when he saw all these images? Okay, it's a, a sea of crystal. What is that all about? But if you understand your typologies, you can say, all right, the sea is that kind of chaotic thing that separates us from God. If waters are frozen at God's touch, he touches the water and they freeze, not only to turn to ice. like that you could walk across to have a bridge back to the Father. But crystal, they're brought to like this diamond-like, jewel-like quality of heavenly perfection. So that is code language for we now have access to God the Father by the sea of crystal that surrounds his throne. But you would never really know that. It would just sound like a weird sort of acid trip, uh, unless you know what those typologies (laughs) fulfill.
1: All right, so typology is one way to listen to the readings. Uh, I'd suggest uh, one that uh, has been around a long time, and that's uh, what's called Lexio Divina, or divine reading, which uh, probably many of you are familiar with. And what it consists of is reading the reading ahead of time. So there's a a Lectio, a reading, and finding out what it is that uh, God is trying to say in this reading. Uh, The second step is the meditation, or meditatio, where you're supposed to almost picture yourself in the reading. What is God saying to me, particularly in this reading? The third thing is, what do you say back to God uh, in response to what he said to you in the reading? And the fourth is, well, what are you gonna do about it? So you've had this dialogue, the content of which is the Logos, and it's supposed to change your life. And so it ends with this sort of contemplation and uh, resolution. Um, and so we try this uh, in uh, the Karstens family from time to time. I, mean, I wanna tell you about my uh, little lexio before last weekend. And like, maybe I'll start there. Does anybody remember what the reading was the gospel reading from last Sunday. Good shepherd. Yeah, that's yeah, an easy one. That
2: was, yeah, Good Shepherd all right. Sunday. All right,
1: let me press you a little bit. Does anybody know what the reading is for next Sunday? I don't, Monsignor Holmes, your hand up back there? <laughs> yeah, okay, <you> knows <laughs> what it is. All right, but this is a mansion of Monsignor didn't know what the reading was for next Sunday, right? And he's going to nourish us with this word. Same, but it, it's the same for all of us. If this is the type of word that's to logify me, and I don't even know what it is. It's, it's you know, lit- Worship isn't magic. It's not going to change us on its own. So we have to read the reading. Well, uh, so last uh, week was a good shepherd. And uh, at the little farm where, uh, where I live uh, with a family uh, south of La Crosse, it, uh, they're doing lambing. I say they are doing lambing. I don't do any lambing. Wait. What, what is, is lambing? lambing? I've never heard that as It's a having program. lambs. It's really? when the ewes have lambs. You, you have lambs? You, The, the sheep <laughs> yes, give birth. The yeah. sheep give birth. Can I draw you a picture? No. You, but you
0: have, you have lambs? <laughs> yous guys? Okay.
2: Oh, wait. You, Okay, like so the animal. sheep
1: Got have lambs. Okay. okay. All right. You, you lost me so, at lamb. Okay, go ahead. Okay, all right. Uh, so the sheep are having lambs, and my family uh, are taking care of these lambs. So they're getting up in the middle of the night. Uh, we have lambs in the basement. Lambs in the front yard, lambs yeah.
0: everywhere. Yeah, you get a lamb. You get a lamb. You get a lamb
1: Well, I want to tell you it gave me a, a whole new appreciation of what it meant to be a Good shepherd. farmer. Oh, good shepherd. Good shepherd. Yeah. Oh, got a okay, good shepherd now I'm not getting up at 3 in the morning to take care of these lambs and I'm not feeding them with bottles But it gave me uh, a good idea. So I'm, I'm reading the reading. I am thinking, what is God saying to me in this reading? It's about the importance of being a good shepherd and even though my my family is Really shepherding these sheep, you know, I'm called in some ways to be a good shepherd for my family. And I, I thought, you know, this is, the, this is what I think God is saying to me in this reading, that I'm a good shepherd that is supposed to lay down his life for his own little flock, his own little lambs. I and think so- God
0: was telling you that you need to do some lambing. You? You. (laughs) Yes. You got me. You got me
1: good. Okay. Anyway, try this uh, before next Sunday. So you can can find on the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, USCCV app. You can get the readings right this very moment for next Sunday's uh, uh, Mass. Read them a couple of times before now and Sunday. Think about what God is trying to say. It's about the the vine and the the branches. Think about what God's trying to say to you uh, in this and what you're gonna say back to God and what you're gonna resolve to do about it. When you hear the reading next Sunday, you can really take it to heart and it will really have a transformative logifying. It'll start to mix together with you. Can I tell you one of my
2: little stories about that? Nope. Sure. Well, I was reading this book nope. about the temple of Solomon, and the Holy of Holies, you know, was the the holiest place in the temple, and only the high priest could go in there. And the high priest would go in and sprinkle blood on the walls, and people had to get in there and clean this because it was a mess. And so nobody could go in there except the high priest. Nobody could walk on the floor. So they actually had a hole in the roof of the temple, and they would lower this guy down in like a bucket on a rope so that he could scrub the walls without touching the floor. And so I read that. And then the gospel that was that week was when they lowered in the, Luke well, when they Zacchaeus. lowered they nope. lowered the man through the hole the roof into Christ's presence and I was like that's it, this is the image of Christ who's the new presence of God on the earth and the, the, the guy who's lame isn't able is to walk because he's not allowed to walk and the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God, so they cut a hole in the roof and they lowered him down on a mat and then after that he was told to get up and walk because he could now walk and stand in the presence of Jesus and I thought this was awesome I was like, I am smart, the Holy Spirit is kicking me in the head and Scott Hahn happened to be on our campus and I presented this to him and I was all excited and he said, no I don't think so <laughs> Scott Hahn, who says yes and smart that everything and everyone shot me down in that one, so if, I still think him, I'm right though. They
0: give him like a hose or
1: something. Like?
2: I well, yeah, they just, just scrub all that blood off the wall anyway. But that's the kind of thing that once yeah. you know, if you read up, then you start to see the scripture, and it's not just wow, that this guy is so desperate to see Jesus as a hole in the ceiling. It's like, oh, this is it. I'm still convinced of this, as you can tell, <laughs> the, imitating the presence of Christ, the presence of God in the temple.
1: All right, excellent. All right, so there's one way to tap into the spirit of grace in the liturgy and to become soberly inebriated. All right, let's go to a second way. Number two. Wait, no. that was just one that we just Yeah, we yeah. have to pick up the pace a little yeah, bit. Yeah, hurry up. <laughs> uh, number two is uh, how to prepare your heart and participate in the Eucharistic prayer. You want to start?
2: Well, first of all, knowing what the Eucharistic prayer is is really important, right? You know my favorite word. My favorite ontology, ontology. yes. Ontology, ontology, yes. Which Followed is by the, pie crust. Pie crust is my favorite food, uh, not pie, just pie crust. And uh, ontology is the study of the nature of things, or the the, the the study of being. So, what is the nature of a thing? The beerness of beer and the pint glassness of pint glass. And the all that. pintness of pints. Pintness of pints. Right. So what is the Eucharistic prayer? Is it just this thing we have to say? As long as we get the words of um, institution in, or the, then we, as long as you confect the Eucharist, then it's valid. Is that enough? The real question is, whose words are they, Chris? Whose words are they, Jesse?
0: They are the corporate body of Christ. All of the people as the body of
2: Christ. This is what we mean by active participation, right? So, right. There are so, certain parts of the so mass. We're there
0: too. we all of us are there.
2: Exactly. There are certain parts of the mass where Christ talks to us. So the the readings are said to the people in the pews. That's. Christ revealing his knowledge to us. There's some parts where the priest talks to people and the people answer. But the Eucharistic prayer is a very particular time where we tell God what Jesus did, which is funny because <laughs> we tend to think. Because he already knows. You know, Jesus took bread, broke, it, gave his it disciples and disciples, and said, we think the priest is sort of telling the people in the pews that. But actually, the people in the pews and the priest together are telling the Father what Jesus did remember father you sent your son and he did this and he died and he said this and so therefore we're giving you again that sacrifice of Christ not just watching the priest do it not just waiting around till the priest says the right words and we, we think we have valid um, Eucharist but actually it's a corporate act as you said Offering ourselves on the patent with the priest, because if Christ's Paschal mystery is being presented at the altar, so his life, his death, his resurrection is all happening under the form of this sacrificial meal, you can either sit in the pews and watch it and say, oh, um, when will this be over? Or you can say, yes, I insert myself in this, the gears of this process so that I can get crushed again and rise again in that moment. And to know that that's what you're doing is very different from reading the bulletin or looking at your watch until it's time to get communion. Or, or
0: even thinking that it's just uh, a play of the last supper or anything like that.
2: Right, it's not just a, a memorial in the sense of doing what was done again. It's an anamnetic memorial. I know you know this word, but you probably know this word by now too, Jesse. Anamnesis, remember this word? Um, We'd like it, to put you on the spot. Yeah. It, uh, it,
1: remember? It, remember Jesse? <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: oh yeah. It means a remembrance, but not just not just, oh, I remember that thing happened last week, but it's but participating in the remembrance.
2: Right. It's a, do this in remembrance of me is actually do this in anamnesis of that's, me. It that's means, the word. Oh, that's we get used.
1: amnesia because you don't remember. Well, yeah, that's, so, so a mnemonic device, left to loosen, right to tighten or whatever, it helps you to remember. <laughs> that's
0: about. not even it. It's lefty-loosey,
1: righty-tighty. Come is on. That le- it's lefty, is that what I said? You said left to loose, right to tight. But if you bring back the memory, you have an anamnesis, and it brings back that what was done, this, in this case the sacrifice of Jesus, is brought back before our eyes here and now so that we can do what as you said participate in it and join ourselves to it. Right,
2: it's it's remembering that makes real and active the thing that's remembered. So I can remember what I put my shoes on this morning, but it's not making that process present again. But an anamnetic remembrance, which is a Jewish concept really, like Passover, you know what the youngest child says at Passover, why is this night different from every other night? It's not, why was that night so many thousands of years ago different? Because that reality is being made present again. So an anamnetic remembrance is to really make the sacrifice of Christ,
1: the Paschal Mystery, present and active again. In the room. All right, and the purpose is so that we can join ourselves with that sacrifice, right, as you right. say. So, the, the, the whole objective of uh, the preparation of the gifts in the Eucharistic prayer is to get from your place in the nave, in the pew, up on the altar and almost in the chalice or on the paten next to Jesus. So that it can then be offered along with Christ to God the Father, and whatever sinful or undesirable in us gets uh, burned away and whatever's uh, salvageable in us gets even better gets even better it gets divinized and sanctified and perfected okay that so not suspenseful yeah yes
2: <laughs> 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 right Pope Pius the 12th right before yeah, the council used for this podcast Phus yeah, the 12th said that active participation was offering yourself on Uh, as a victim on the patent with the priest. We think active participation is doing this, doing that, but he said real active participation in the process, Christ is giving himself to the Father. We want to give ourselves to the Father too by being joined to Christ's sacrifice, and that's active participation in the very dialogue of the Trinity. All right, smart guy. Yeah. How do do you do it? You just will it. It's actually (laughs) that easy, right? You say, yes, Father. It says the guy with no children. I put, myself, <laughs> I put myself on the patent, right? Sit still, be quiet. Now I put myself on the patent, right? You don't have to jump through hoops or nail yourself to a cross or anything like that. Christ is taking us into this unbloody but real
1: activity. It, yeah, In some ways, you're right. It is, if, you ju- if you know what's happening and you know what you're supposed to do, you're way ahead of the game than uh, you would be otherwise. Um, but yeah, so how do you get from the pew up into the chalice? One of the ways that, uh, that we try to do it, that I try to do it is uh, uh, with, the, with the aid of praying daily, the morning offering, which some of you might know. Uh, it says, O oh Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. All right, so you pray this, you can pray this with, uh, how old's Agnes? She is two and a half. Two and a half. She's old enough to do this, huh? I hope so. Yeah, okay. So you pray this with the family, with the kids, Uh, on the way to church, or even during the the preparation itself, or before Mass begins. You think to yourself very intentionally, all right, what am I praying for? Uh, What am I working towards? What are my sufferings, my sins, my struggles? What are my joys? bringing those to mind, and then during that offertory, we even even tell the kids to say, all right, take those things that are really you in your heart. That's what God wants, because he can take everything else. But the one thing he cannot get his hands on, unless you actually put it into his hands, is your heart, your love, your whole self. So you reach into your heart, and you take these, and sometimes we'll see our kids do this. They'll just, they'll, (laughs) just throw it up there onto the altar. And there it is. And it's kind of an externalization of what they're supposed to be doing, joining themselves to Christ on the Patent.
2: I actually saw on a website they said ministry opportunities and one of them said donut ministry on the top as if that were active participation right nothing's wrong with giving out donuts after mass but we have this very shallow notion of participation when we really think that what the vatican II fathers and the the scholars up to that point said the people in the pews need to know that they can be transformed by divine life if they pay attention at mass know what they're doing and add their intentionality to the intentionality of the priest they will be transformed by grace and they'll go home they'll be better bosses, better employees, better citizens, better politicians, they won't declare war on their neighbors, they won't starve the poor, they won't cheat their neighbor, and that they really thought the world, which had been through World War I and Two, and the threat of nuclear war would be way, way, way better if people knew how to enter into the dialogue of the Trinity and the Mass. And
1: that's why liturgical reform was considered such an urgent thing. Can I give it one small typology before we leave this? Sure. It's pretty awesome. Okay, so you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before? All right. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, they are in the Babylonian captivity, um, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, just to keep it confusing, uh, are thrown right, in... They had, like, other names, too? They did, mm-hmm. yeah. As if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't... Uh, were, not,
0: the, were those their confirmation names? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they're thrown into the fiery furnace by... King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, Of course. So they won't worship the statue. The nebs. King Nebuchadnezzar is uh, angry, so he, he heats up the fiery furnace, seven times hotter than it otherwise was, and he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And they realize at this point that they are in trouble. They have nothing that they can give to God. And so Azariah makes this prayer, he says, we have in our day no prince, prophet, leader, no Holocaust, oblation, uh, sacrifice, incense, no place to offer first fruits with you. They don't have anything. Well, actually, this isn't true. The one thing they do have is their hearts. hearts. Mm -hmm. So he continues, he says, so with humble spirit and contrite heart, let us be acceptable to you by God, as if it were thousands of fat lambs that we were sacrificing. Well, there's something interesting that happens at Mass, is that when we've given ourselves all to the hands of the priest at the altar, and he prepares the chalice, and he prepares the ciborium, before he washes his hands, he bows low, and he says this prayer quietly. With humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be accepted by you, O God, and may our sacrifice in your presence this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. Or something like that, Father. Sorry if I'm a little off on that. In other words, they quote... Azariah in the fiery furnace because what we've given is our whole selves So this is imagine on Sunday You're in the fiery furnace with Jesse and Dennis and Hannah and I and <laughs> what did we do to get there? Who and, knows? Okay, and you're supposed to offer your whole selves and then one last thing what happens is um, God hears their prayer in the fiery furnace and he sends a dew-laden breeze to cool the flames of the fiery furnace and they get out And what happens, at least in Eucharistic prayer, too? Do you remember, Dennis? Uh, At the (laughs) Epiclesis, send down your spirit. Like Like the the dewfall. dewfall. There it is. So there's the, the Holy Spirit coming in to take our sacrifices. Anyway, so there's the second thing. Learn, pray, be intentional about your prayers, works, joys, and sufferings. And throw those up onto the altar, along with everybody else's in the church. That's what God really wants. So Joy go to
0: Mass you. and throw up. Got it. There you all go. right. <laughs> number three.
1: What is number three? The dismissal. The dismissal. <laughs> the go. The moment favorite, you've all been waiting for. That's yes. my favorite part. All right. Uh, the first observation I'd like to make is, you know, so this 55 minutes that we, uh, that we go to on a Sunday morning, sometimes it's called Eucharist, sometimes it's called Divine Liturgy. Uh, the ancient church called it the breaking of the bread. But what do we most often call it? Mass. The Mass. The mass. And it's a curious thing, I think, that we name this activity by its dismissal. Everything that's happened before it is named by the last word. It seems to be similar to saying, hey, do you want to go get a last call tonight? Or do you want to go catch some closing credits? Or do you want to go watch a final buzzer? <laughs> it won't make any sense, but for the mass, we call everything by its dismissal. So I think this just should say something to us about how important the dismissal is. And the term mass, uh, do you know where it comes from? Mise. Mise. Sending. Sending. It's also the root of the word missile. Missile. Yeah. Missile. So it means to be sent. To be sent. Say something else smart about it.
2: Well, you know, the, um, the, mic- the macrocosmic view of. Um, you, had, you had me on micro. <laughs> I Salvation history is that adam and eve are happy in the garden right and their job was to maintain the garden but also to spread the glory of god even outside the garden not forced out but to to glorify the world and then you know after the whole story with the tree and the serpent and eating the fruit and everything they're basically sent out into the world and our job is to get back into this right relationship to restore the world to bring the glory of god from the holy of holies which is the center of the church, out to logify the world, to make the whole world a paradise at the spiritual level. And so, you know, coming to Mass is kind of like the, um, I don't know what, like the Navy SEAL training, but then they have to go out on mission. And so you do this intensive training and then you bring that out to the world. And so the sending is very important. If you were just in basic training forever, you'd kind of miss the point of your special mission in the military.
1: I like that image with the special mission. C.S. Lewis, doesn't he talk about our commander is parachuted uh, behind enemy lines uh, in disguise. And now we're supposed to be as foot soldiers out mm, there. That's good. Uh, in the world too, yeah. Okay, so how do we respond uh, to the, mis- uh, the dismissal? So there you go. Uh, Ite misa est, the mass has ended. But maybe one other thing to note is, you know, all of the dismissal formulas, and there are four, and they all begin with the word go. Go, the mass has ended. Glorify the peace, Lord by your life. And glorify the Lord by your life. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. And this word go is an imperative. It's a, it's a command, like a commander would yeah. give, to go out. It's not go have a nice day, see you next time. It's a command to get out and to logify and transform the world. So how do you do that?
2: I'm not very good at that, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: glad you said it.
2: Yeah, I know people will sit and make their prayer of Thanksgiving and then kind of... Uh,
0: Some people are so good at this that they do it. Early. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I leave after communion. <laughs>
2: I trying to get a head start, yeah, I have to beat the other cars out of the parking lot so I can logify the world before anybody else. I don't know, you, Chris, I don't, you need an answer for this,
1: Chris. Yeah. Well, um, depends on how know, many like, announcements like there, the, there are. Yeah, yeah. You know, li- like the other parts, it's something that we can all work on. Um, one thing that I've tried to learn is the the prayer of Saint. Francis, or the peace prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of mm-hmm. your peace, where there's hatred, let me sow love, where there is injury, pardon, where there's doubt, faith, despair, hope, darkness, light, uh, and the rest. This, uh, I think, seems a suitable prayer. Uh, at the end of Mass, to, to, the, the secret is to translate mm-hmm. what's happened in the Mass to what's going to happen in all of those other hours out there in the world. And so to pray this, uh, peace, this um, peace prayer, I mean, we all know we're going to run into people who are Filled with doubt and despair, and wish to be understood, and who are injured, and again, to be very, you know, the word the council used right is full conscious and active participation. We have to use our minds when we come to pray the mass. So be very conscious and intentional about what we might do. So should we ahead. should we be drunkenly sober after we get out of church? as Well, we should we should be kind of uh, floating out the doors with our feet on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, but I hope these three ways. What that's. <laughs> That's possible. It makes as, much, as, makes as much sense as being uh, drunkenly sober. Drunkenly yeah. sober. Sure, right? yeah, so we've had an encounter with the Logos. We've had an encounter with uh, the Spirit. Maybe one last observation before we, we're about to wrap this up. Sure. Sure, sure. Okay. Is, uh, you go ahead. I'll look at the okay. questions while we finish is, um, uh, Notice the parts of the Mass that, that we talked about, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist and the Dismissal. Um, do you all know the answer to this question, why did God make you? Because he did. Because, well, that's one way to put it. Uh, to know, to him, know and love him and love him. Right? To him and serve him in this life and to be happy with him forever in the next. These are called, um, when Jay, uh, Dennis claimed that I was like Jesus, these are the offices of Christ. His prophetic office, his priestly office, and his kingly office. And so these three things that we talked about address those three offices of Jesus and our own identity as Christians. To know, to love, and to serve. And so... Uh, I guess we would just encourage you to try these things between now and Sunday, and I think you'll find that they work, and that you will leave Mass soberly inebriated. Not inebriatedly sober. Could be. It could be. All All right, right. That's it.
0: Thank you, guys. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute, and we love everything that we do here. But you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it?
1: Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder, uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning. I've known. We've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the L.I. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call,
2: mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class, anyone?
0: All right, we have a question here. Chris picked uh, this one. Okay. This doesn't have a name. Does this person win something? No, we, we pick uh, randomly out of a bag. Okay, for so the this one. Are there any other
1: questions out there? Yeah, so this one's form? a loser, so it doesn't get in the. Po- <laughs> no, I'm just kidding.
0: I will put it back in. Um, uh, yeah, did we get all the questions, Mark? Where's Mark? Okay, so this is the question we are going to answer right now.
1: Yes. Does this yes. person win anything?
2: No. Uh, sure. We'll give him one of these prizes over here. Okay. Yeah, one of the, we uh, have t We have t shirts. We yeah, have t shirts. We have t shirts. If is. you recognize this as your question, let us know.
0: All right. Uh, and if you're too embarrassed to have asked this, then we understand. <laughs> <laughs> At least I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is actually a good question. I, of course it is. I also have this question. Um, why, during the words of consecration, when the priest says, He broke the bread and gave it to the disciples, does the priest not actually break the host and waits until the Lamb of God instead? That's a fantastic question. And Actually,
2: sometimes you do see priests do that. He took the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, which he's not supposed to do, actually. Okay, so it's wait, a, it's a little counterintuitive at first, so go ahead, Chris.
1: You're the one who picked that. I picked it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think um, the principle here is that what, what the liturgy is, while it's based in history, and obviously has a real, true, historical precedent. The liturgy is not and never meant to be uh, an historical pageant or reenactment or play of what Jesus did 2,000 years
2: ago. For instance, when the, tra- the new translation was coming out, the word colleagues was there, so Jesus took the colleagues, gave it to his disciples, and said, is colleagues a cup or is colleagues a chalice? And so Wait, there's what just- what the heck is colleagues? Colleagues is the word for cup or the word for chalice in Latin, right? So when C-A-L-I-X. they-
0: C-A-L-I-X. Right. So, i never heard that word in my entire life.
2: So when they were trying to figure out how do we translate it, it's cup, people would say, well, Jesus didn't have a chalice with gems and gold in the Last Supper, so it should be a cup. And then other people would say, well, no, because it's a precious thing and it's anticipating the chalice of the heavenly banquet and so therefore it's more accurate to call it the chalice and if you just think it's a recreation of the Last Supper then people are going to sit around an ordinary table in kind of their regular clothes and have a meal but what we understand is that it's actually much more than that It's a ritual meal of a, of a sacrifice offered and so the sacrifice is part of this answer I think if I'm reading your mind here Chris <laughs> well, are
1: you reading my mind
2: <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> Uh, well I don't I don't think I was thinking that but I you know what the reason we can tap into what happened 2,000 years ago is because it exists in the eternal now uh, in heaven and so the liturgy that we're participating in is principally the heavenly liturgy where the Lamb of God is seated at the right hand of the Father worshiped by the angels and the Saints you know it it might be true that uh, uh, your boss is a Jewish carpenter uh, but oh, it's it's uh, my least favorite bumper sticker. <laughs> the better bumper sticker would be uh, My boss is king of the universe seated eternally at the right hand of God the Father Second person in of the Trinity. Gosh, that's yeah. that is too long. It, it would go across the
2: whole for, bumper of the yeah, car It would be right, awesome. You
1: right. would really have to tailgate somebody to be able to read that <laughs> But it's it that's the same reason why Monsignor Holmes doesn't come out on Sunday You know with kind of the toga and the Jesus sandals and you know the long. I hope, wait, or, I hope wait, he doesn't wait there do you?
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> not since the 80s, anyway.
1: <laughs> because his, his vestment, his manner, his words are all... Um, they're, they're participating in the heavenly liturgy, and through the heavenly liturgy do they uh, tap into Jesus'... Uh, so, so why is it broken
0: at that, par- at that part of the Mass where he's... The he's not
1: blood? trying to mimic, or like in a pageant play, he's not trying to... So it's to
0: purposefully moved to a point where it's not... Leading on somebody to believe that it's
1: Well part of uh, this would be the one of the reasons st. Thomas would say how is it that the mass is a sacrifice? He would say it's a symbolic sacrifice because we do certain things that symbolize that Jesus is in fact broken now, Jesus isn't broken any longer because he cannot be broken uh, like he could have 2,000 years ago. Now he's in heaven. He can't die anymore. But we symbolize that by breaking his body, by consecrating blood over here and body over here. So there's some other other threads that are coming into that. Uh, answer. Right.
2: And the fractions, it's actually the right. It's a, it's a right within the right called the right of fraction. And it's when the, toward the end. Most people don't notice it because the priest does it sort of quietly, leans over and breaks the uh, host in half. And that's the completion of that. And then he put them receives. together like,
0: I didn't do it. I didn't do <laughs> they're
2: still, they're still. Actually, you no, know, the priest has to receive first. And people sometimes say, oh, the priest should receive last because he's the servant. But actually, it's the completion of the sacrifice when the meal is eaten. So when the victim in the old days was this, the ox or bull or whatever was slaughtered and cooked and eaten, it what the sacrifice wasn't done until the flesh There was communion, so to speak, with the flesh of that animal, and that was the completion of the sacrifice. And so the priest has to finish it first, and then brings it out. And then those
0: who can't have gluten, they get the low gluten host. They do, yes. And then the elderly. Yep. So that's the way. Okay, got it. So I hope that answers (laughs) your question.
2: Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places